0: Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need.
1: Uh, the first, we're reading from 1 John 3, uh, verses 14 through 18. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another whoever does not love abides in death all who hate a brother or sister are murderers and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them we know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for us for for one another How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth or action.
0: This is the word of the Lord this morning. You can have a seat, church. How can you befriend this monstrous murder and try to be friends with us as well? By murderer, this would be referring to a man by the name of Matthew Panklete, who reached out to a woman by the name of Helen after he was assigned to the death penalty being accused for his crimes. The whole city had been shaken up by the news of this. On a Friday night, the body of two teenagers who had been abducted and sexually assaulted and then murdered by two bullets in the back of the head was found. The one who was accused of these crimes, Matthew Ponclete, wrote a letter to Helen asking for her to visit him as he waited his sentencing. And even the community who wanted to do nothing with him, Helen spent time with him. And her time with Matthew was anything but pleasant. Matthew was racist. He would often make references about how Hitler did not get the job done. He would make derogatory terms towards women. And even one time when Helen visited him, when she told him that she had never been married before, he said she might as well have never lived. Helen took criticism from everyone. The victim's parents, the community, her colleagues, and even Matthew himself. People questioned her character. People questioned her stomach for justice. People even questioned her common sense. But she stayed with Matthew all the way up to the very end of Matthew's life. On the night of his execution, only minutes before his death being carried out, Matthew confessed to committing the crime. He had lied every moment and tried every way to lie about it. And there As he drug his chains across the floor, wearing nothing but a white jumpsuit and freshly shaved head, he whispered to Helen, I did it. In her autobiography, she says that the moment she'll never forget is when he was being strapped in and injected with lethal solutions. Helen found words within herself that she didn't even know that she had. In this most terrifying moment, she looked Matthew in the eyes and she said, Matthew, watch my face because the last thing I want you to see is the face of someone who loves you. That night, Helen stared at the face of someone who brought death And that night, Matthew stared at the face of someone who brought love. What compels someone to enter, endure, and stay with someone all the way to the end when most of us would have nothing that we would want to do with Matthew Ponglete? The only reason, Helen writes, that she actually stayed in that moment and looked Matthew in the face in that dread moment that she can never close her eyes and never forget, the only reason she did it was because of how the community would address her. She was not known as Helen, but she was known as Sister Helen. Helen was a witness of Jesus. Jesus. And Helen witnessed this moment simply because she was a witness that God in Jesus Christ had faced death and still loved. For many of us who are witnesses of Jesus, I think many of us can't imagine ever sitting in the chair of Helen. I know many of us as we walk through our weeks are just like, I'm just trying to get through my week here. Okay, I'm just trying to answer emails. I'm just trying to make sure the kids get to the right place. I'm trying to find that sock that I can't match with the other socks. Most of us can't think of having such an intense moment of love. But the one thing that Sister Helen knows that many of us forget that she writes about is that no one just falls into these intense moments of love. There are small moments of love that are practiced over a lifetime. And every once in a while, life will call you to a moment to love that is unprecedented like ever before. Love does not just instinctually happen, nor is it just immediate. It is cultivated through small steps over time that lead to a love we could never imagine that we could actually bring ourselves. And this is the series that we find ourselves in. How do we enter the process of love in such a way that we can love in ways we never imagined? So we've been processing over the letters of 1 John over the past couple weeks. And this has been our way of processing how do we love and how do we love in a way that Jesus would love. And to describe the process of how one can enter into a life that could be just like Helen's, John, this early writer, writes in the letters of John that it's kind of like the process of moving from death to life. That moving towards a life of love is growing in your capacity to love. And John is very like, one or the other john would say if you're moving towards life you are growing in greater capacity to love and if you are not growing in greater capacity to love you are not living the life that god designed for you one of the easiest ways to evaluate this in your life is to simply just ask yourself is love becoming more present in my life or is it becoming more absent When someone cuts you off in traffic, is your reaction the same reaction that it was years ago? That will tell you if you're growing in love for capacity of it. When someone leaves you out, do you seek to wound them like you did in the past? When someone annoys you, do you snap or still withdraw like you did in your past or years ago? When someone tells you they eat pineapple on their pizza, do you delete their contact still? And when someone shares a political belief with you that you do not share, do you dismiss them like you used to? Or do you find yourself curious? John does not let us answer the way that we want to answer. Usually we want to say we are very loving people when we have eight hours of sleep and when we feel good about ourselves. And John says that's not what this is about. You're either growing in love or you're not growing in love and one of the things that the bible teaches that is so countercultural to our 2022 mindset is that the bible will never teach you including john it will never tell you to fall in love the bible never teaches that the bible will only teach you that when it comes to love you must grow in it the scriptures are just scattered across the board with different Phrasings like this, this is Philippians 1 verse 9, and this is my prayer to you, that your love may grow more and more in knowledge and in depth and insight so you may be able to know and pursue the things that are pure and blameless. The Bible does not teach us to fall in love. The Bible teaches us to grow in love. And when John wants to describe the type of love that you should dwell in, he just says it very plainly. He's not going to use eloquent words. He's just going to say it like this. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And that we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Love is simply laying yourself down. Now, this is a reference that for many of us, it just seems absolutely lost. So let me try to give us an image in our mind. There is a foundational document, a movie that is very crucial to some of our upbringings. Uh, Many of you will recognize it by the picture that I'm about to display on the screen. Uh, This would be the movie The Princess Bride. I know it's very formational for a lot of us. If you've never seen it, don't worry about it. People will quote it until you want to puke, okay? There are a couple of quotes that happen in this movie that are so legendary. You know, One is from one of the main characters himself who says, you know, he walks around all the time and he goes, I am ego Montoya. What's the rest of the line? You killed my father, prepare to die. That's right, we've got a couple watchers in here. He walks around all the time and he says this phrase. There's another character who also has a phrase, catchphrase. He says it over and over again. Do we know what that one is? Oh boy! All right, y'all were hiding how well you knew this movie. He says inconceivable, but the problem with this quote is, is every time he says inconceivable, it's about something that's happening, which means it's actually conceivable, and he annoys you over and over again. And this scene right here, when they're up on top of the mountain, he goes inconceivable, and Nigo Montoya says, "Ah, uh, I don't think it means what you actually think it means." when it comes to that word. That's a really good description of how the Bible talks about love. Everyone wants to throw around the word love. But the way that you and I use the word love is not usually the way that the Bible uses the word love. a matter of fact, the Bible uses four different words for love because it wants to be very clear in what it's actually meaning, even though many of us use it in ways that we don't. So when we use the word love, you tend to use it in the meaning of, I love pineapple on pizza. I love my country. I love my friends. I love my spouse. I love this show that I am hooked on. And in essence, what we say when we say we love those things is we're saying, those things bring me good things. Therefore, I love them. We love something because when we see it, emotion wells up in us and it just feels right. So we say that we love them. But when John, the writer of this passage, uses the word love, he does not use it in the way that emotion wells up in him and it just feels right to him. When John uses the word love, it's beyond emotion. It's a word that means Commitment. Early Christians, when they would reference this type of love, this agape love, early Christians like Thomas Aquinas would define it like this. It is the commitment to will the good of the other. Whether you're feeling it or not feeling it, it's a commitment to love even if it means that you put that person ahead of yourself. It has nothing to do with emotion welling up inside you. The type of love that God embodies is a love that's not just, oh, I'm feeling it, or oh, I have affection towards that person, or I share common interests in that person, so I enjoy it. It is a love that is committed to flourishing, even if it puts a person ahead of God themselves. And John will say that this isn't just an example of love. This is the very definition of what love looks like. He says this is what it looks like for Christ to lay down his love, which gets to our question that we have for the fourth part of this series today. What does love entail of me if I'm going to love someone who is very hard to love? What do I need to do? What you need to do is you need to be committed to the flourishing Of the people around you, even if that means you have to put them ahead of yourself. One of the ways that John will say this on the back half of this verses we just read, he will say, and we ought to lay down our lives as well for our brothers and sisters. Maybe one way to think about the term laid down is to think of it in terms of laid aside. What's it mean for you to love? It means for you to lay aside your personal interest, your own protection, and your own comfortabilities for the flourishing of other people in your life. We lay aside, here's some examples, we lay aside our desire when we come home to just veg out, to be able to be attentive to the flourishing of the family that we're coming home to. We lay aside our preferences when other Christians want to talk about things that we just prefer not to talk about because that's what love and flourishing looks like. We lay aside our interest when it comes to work or when it comes to school of climbing ourselves over other people. We lay that aside so we can help others at work or school. We lay aside excessive spending in our life To be able to respond to the financial needs either that the church has or other people have love is setting your personal interest or comfort aside a lot of times it's entering into a tension that a lot of us just rather not enter into our lives usually know you know that you are in some love territory is when you are considering doing something for someone else and someone advises you, you know, you don't really have to do that. You don't have to do that. That usually means that you are on the corner of love. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King once said a bone chilling statement in the midst of the civil rights. He actually said, to anyone who was opposed to desegregation, He'd look them in the eyes and he would say, I want you to be rest assured that in my love, I will wear you down with my capacity to suffer. That I am willing to win over freedom, not just for myself, but also for you. I will appeal to your heart and your conscience and we together will experience freedom. Love is entering into the tension. Love is willingly stepping in to the things that sometimes we rather not step into in our lives. As Dr. King would say, it's a relentless capacity to open ourselves up to suffering even when we don't have to in our lives. C.S. Lewis, who was the uh, creator of the Chronicles of Narnia series, used to say this to one congregation. It's easier to be enthusiastic about capital H humanity than it is to love individual men or women. Ain't that the truth? Especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. All of us love to talk at parties and post on social media about how much we love people or what we're passionate about. The question for John, the question in your faith is when you have a person in front of you, that is any of those things, uninteresting, exasperating, draining, unattractive, Do you find yourself willing to enter into love with that person? That would be the question. And this is the moment in the sermon where I'm now going to let it go from a monologue now to a dialogue with you and God together. I want you to think for a moment about your them. Them, the person in your life that is most difficult to love. The people that you see coming that you're like, maybe I can turn around really quickly and not encounter them. (laughs) I want you to think about maybe based off of these words for a minute. Do you have someone in your life that is just uninteresting? Like if you were just really honest, like, I just I don't know if I wanna I don't know if I want to talk to them today. You have someone that's exasperating. Do you have someone in your life who you dismiss, you disregard, they're frustrating, they're irritating. Interactions with them sometimes ruin the day. Do you know someone who may be immoral? Or maybe they're obscene at times or they just do things that you're like, why do they do that? How about unattractive? Do you have someone that you tend to not just... You just don't naturally gravitate towards them. Or maybe they talk about experiences that just, quite frankly, aren't your experiences that you have with the world. Do you have a them? When you hear these words, is there someone that comes to mind? When John writes to people who would know or have a person that comes to mind with any of these labels, he would push them further and he would say, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in action and in truth. In other words, John's saying, when it comes to that person that you think of, words is a good start. But words that are not followed up with action tend to be very empty words. So how can you love them? What would it practically look like for you to walk away from church today and love them? I wanted to give you just four questions that are based off of four observations with the life of Jesus just laying down. And they're just very quickly. If you're a note taker, this is probably your portion, of the sermon to come back. <laughs> if you're feeling it. I'm going to ask you four questions about your them. I want you to consider if you would love in one of these four ways this week. The first would be this. How about volunteer? Is there a way that you could volunteer yourself into their lives? Jesus, when He approached the cross, cross, volunteered His life willingly it was his initiation it was his prerogative to enter in and embody this act of love you know one of the things I've learned that I think this church does really well is I do not hear us as a church very often saying the phrase call me if you need something and one of the things this church has taught me really well is people who know how to love well never need to say that phrase Like, I'm looking at a couple of you who can do this really well in the room. You just take initiative. You just do it. You don't need to ask what you can do or just throw it out there. You already know how to take initiative. When it comes to the them, the person you struggle with in life, what would it look like for you to volunteer yourself into their lives? Some of you are looking at me and you're like, I don't like that one. All right, let's give you another one. All right. Life-giving. Life-giving. Is there a way you could contribute something life-giving into their life? When Jesus died, it was not just to show something. Jesus died to defeat a power that would give the rest of us life. He gave love for us to be able to give love. He did not do it for us to continue destructive patterns. He gave His life so we could have life. Is there a way with your them that you could help them flourish? Is there a way that you could give them something? Presence, time, relationship, words, something that would be life giving to them this week? Question number three truth. Jesus came, in the words of John, grace and truth together. What would it look like for you to be honest with this person? And I'm not talking about honesty of like I'm going to let them have it. Okay, that's not the type of honesty I'm talking about. I'm talking about an honesty that helps them. An honesty that isn't mixed with your own motives of what this could do for you. But how could you be honest with that person? When Jesus comes and lays down his life, he does not do it with ulterior motives. He comes and he's honest. And here's the fourth one. What about abundance? What if you were to love with abundance this week? What do you have a lot of in your life that you could hand over? Is it skills? Is it income? Is it gifts? Anything that is a blessing in your life. Yes, is something that God wants you to bring joy to yourself, but also joy to others. Maybe one way to think about it is when you look at your life and there's elements that you're like, gosh, I just love this part of my life. Do other people also say that about your life? Because usually that's a really good fruit of us knowing if we're giving from abundance. What if you were to give in one of these ways this week? If you were honest, if you gave out of abundance, what if you gave something life-giving? What if you were volunteering yourself into their lives? What would that look like? to be able to love them that way. You know. There's a story, and I'm going to end with this. There's a story of a, uh, a preacher in the medieval times who uh, one of the things he was legendarily known for is he came to his congregation and he said, Next week, I'm going to preach to you on the love of God. And everyone was like, Awesome. We're ready for this. He's going to unpack it. He's going to expound it. The church shows up the next week. And the church shows up to this cathedral that is just pitch dark. The church files in really slowly, not to even know or see where the preacher is. And then they find out that he's at the front of the room after sitting there for a couple minutes. And he simply just lights a candle. Of course. <laughs> of course, the lighter would not work. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. He lights a candle as he goes to the front of the room. And in the front of the room, he turns on no lights. He doesn't say anything to the congregation. All he does is he looks up at the cross of Jesus. And he takes the candle. And for a couple minutes... All he does is he illuminates different parts of Jesus. So he takes the candle, and he holds it up to the thorns of where Jesus held the suffering, without saying anything. And then he takes the candle, and he puts it over the hands, the open hands that had nails driven into him. And then he just takes the candle. And he moves it over to the side of Jesus, where a spear would pierce his side. Then after several minutes, the preacher simply walks to the middle of the room, (sighs) blows out the candle, and simply tells the church, There are no more words. Simply go live what you've seen. The preacher's point was this, is that Jesus' life is practically, it's practically how God loves the world. That Jesus thought and loved in a different way than the rest of the world. That Jesus opened himself up in ways that he never knew. Jesus was reflected in his body the way that he had loved people. He entered into darkness. He endured darkness And by the cross and the resurrection, Jesus defeated darkness. The power that once held us is no longer the power that holds us. Now, the question for you and I is simply, will we let the light, the Holy Spirit that's inside of us, will we let it illuminate different ways of thinking about people? Will we let the Spirit, let them use our hands in ways that we haven't used them before? And will our bodies show by the end of our life that we have loved and loved well? Because the one who is love has died and been resurrected for us. So God, we come to you knowing that any time that we love, we are responding to the gift of love that you have given us in our life. Holy Spirit, may you come into our lives and may you fill us in such a way that we can think about people differently, that we can do things for people that we wouldn't imagined. And Lord, that we're willing to do things in your name that we wouldn't do on our own. Empower us to do this this week. Pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.